Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of The History of Gear, Katie Hargrave, Associate Professor at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and Meredith Lara Lynn, Assistant Professor at Florida State University, talk at the 2023 Outdoor History Summit about their experience in the archive this summer as Outdoor Recreation Archive Fellows and the tent research and art they are creating. Just want to give a quick thank you to Clint and Chase for the opportunity uh, to present today and also to come out to Utah State and engage with their archive. Um, and I just want to give a quick apology. I have a little bit of a cold. And so if I um, have to duck out at any moment, Katie is going to take over. But I think I'm going to be okay. It's just, um, you know, fall weather has gotten the best of me. Um, so again, thank you to Clint and Chase. Um, we're so honored to be here today. We've really enjoyed um, the two panelists who have spoken before us. Um, we're, we're huge fans of Danner, as you'll see in a second. Um, and also we have a lot of overlap with Martin and the work and we've read his book and are big fans of his as well. So um, thank you so much. And again, we're honored to be here. Um, so today we want to start out by uh, telling a story. Uh, so Katie and I drove across the United States in 2017 uh, from Oregon to Indiana, where I had been living at the time. And along the way, we stopped at five national parks. In each park, we uh, had many conversations with park rangers. Uh, Katie and I are both the kinds of people who like to read every sign and ask a million questions. Um, and so in this picture, you can see we're with a park ranger named Michael Donahue. Um, and this is at Little Bighorn. And um, Michael is also an art professor during the year and a park ranger uh, in the summer. And so we were really, really interested in him and his story. And we asked him a lot of questions. Um, and through that experience um, and by talking to other park rangers at Little Bighorn, uh, what we learned is that each park ranger really establishes the stories that they want to tell and that they want to share with visitors. Um, so one time when we were at a site in Georgia, a park ranger politely reminded tourists that more had happened on that site than just a famous rich person was married there. Um, we spoke to a member of the Absolute Gay Nation at Little Bighorn. Um, and what we really saw was that um, our experience of so-called public land is actually constructed by uh, people like park, 
park rangers, but also it's constructed by the people who have designed the infrastructure of those spaces. So for example, um, photographers who have shared their experience on social media or writers who have reflected on the um, importance of these experience and by users, and of course, by the designers who create the gear that is used in so-called public land. Um, So in our practice, we are interested in pointing to all of these different layers of mediation and interpretation that impact our experience in the landscape. Our project-based collaborative is grounded in an inquiry of so-called public lands, and we use materials like tents, which you'll see a lot in this presentation. Um, We use coolers, we use postcards, the kind of stuff that you find in the outdoors as sculptural bases that we manipulate with photographic imagery and video. We are drawn to historical landscape photography environmental literature, um, social media images, and increasingly archives uh, within our studio research, often collapsing many forms and sources within one body of work. Um, so a little bit more about kind of what we're do what we're thinking about. Um, we're, we've noticed that wealthy, predominantly white tourists are encouraged to explore so-called public lands, through U.S. land policy and through the outdoor industry. The term explore is presented as neutral without uh, acknowledging the possible negative impacts of ballooning usage on fragile landscapes and the rich cultural relevance that exists in those places. We are a little bit wary of exploration and we locate our work in that wariness as we consider the impact that the outdoor industrial complex can have um, through the creation of multi-layered artworks and installations within our studio practice. So in our talk today, we want to take you through our process and how the Outdoor Recreation Archive has influenced our work. Yeah, so today we're going to highlight a few projects that began with archival research, including one of our most recent installations called Develop Developing. Here we are actually uh, in the in at Utah State University, probably not too far from where either Clint or Chase are sitting right now. Since we engage with the histories of human relationships to land, we often start our research in archives. Um, As Clint outlined earlier, the collection at Utah State University includes thousands of catalogs and the papers of many designers, industry leaders, and companies. And so we've been lucky enough to visit this archive twice. Um, And today we want to show you the ways in which the archive has influenced our work. In our first visit, we were particularly interested in seeing how 19th century environmentalists were impacting outdoor recreation gear. So this is an image of Alpine Hut's mirror sleeping bag, um, and it's the mummy bag at the top of the kind of star formation. Um, It's alongside four other sleeping bags. We've done a lot of research into John Muir, Um, He's a 19th century botanist and conservationist. Um, The John Muir Trail in California is named after him. Um, And we're really interested in his long-term impact on mainstream environmentalist movements. Um, And here you actually saw this photo earlier um, from Danner. Uh, While we were in the archive looking at material related to John Muir, we started to notice how outdoor recreation advertisements like this one uh, mimics 19th century landscape photography. 
Looking through the archives at Utah State, we were struck by how often commercial images like this show the influence of early landscape photography, which brought us to our project developed developing. Um, and here you can see that illustrated. Um, the image on the left is of John Muir with Teddy Roosevelt in Yosemite in 1903, um, which is an example of the kind of early photography that we're interested in. Um, and as you can see, this image is almost replicated in a 1976 Happy Trails catalog, uh, which is from the archive at USU. Images like the one on the left were taken to increase support for the national park system with federal, federal legislators who had often never left the eastern United States to see the sites being discussed. Going through the catalogs at USU, we were struck by how the visual tropes established during this period of settler colonialism in the 19th and early 20th centuries became the visual language for outdoor recreation capitalism. Through this research, we were also reminded of contemporary social media posts taken by tourists. We saw the same poses, camera angles, and compositions repeated from the historical photographs to the catalog images to images taken by tourists at so-called public land sites. Drawing from this research, we created an installation that collapsed all three of these photographic categories. Here we are in the studio working through the piece, which consists of a clear plastic tent and images printed on several kinds of material. And this is the work installed at the Knoxville Museum of Art. Um, and I'll just say the clear, the clear plastic tent was entirely our own design and creation. Um, and so uh, we have become uh, sort of semi-professional tent manufacturers through our practice as well. So it's always interesting to be in the company of uh, people from the industry who, um, who are doing maybe similar work to us, but approaching it from a different angle. Um, in this image, most of the sepia-toned photographs that you see printed that are on the floor and the wall um, are from 19th century land surveying expeditions. And the color images are a mix of advertisements and social media posts. Um, and this is a video, hopefully it will play. Sometimes it doesn't work great. Oh, there we go, excellent. Um, the images are printed digitally and also as lenticulars. Um, and lenticulars are that um, printing process where two photographs are printed on the same uh, page and there's a kind of plastic lens on top so that when you look from one angle, you see one of the images. And then when you look from another angle, you see the other image. Um, oftentimes there's like postcards that are printed in this style. Uh, the clear plastic tent, uh, which we designed, articulates the desire to be outdoors without the disruption of gear, but also the simultaneous need to be protected from the outdoors. So now we'll move on to talk about another project that began with archival research at Utah State University. Um, so, uh, and it's interesting just to see how many connections there are between these various presentations. So that's that's pretty exciting for us. So during our first visit to the archives, we learned a lot about several tent uh, tents and tent designers who have really become inspirational to us, um, which are now the subject of two ongoing bodies of work that we want to share with y'all as well. So these are early looks. Um, none of the work that you're going to see here is finished. And so the first project is about Bill Moss, um, who we were 
personally especially excited about because we learned about his history as a fiber artist turned tent designer. You already heard Martin talk a little bit about him, so we won't go into too much detail about his history here. But through the Outdoor Recreation Archive, we were introduced to these tents, and we just like totally fell in love with them right away. They are incredible art objects with really thoughtful, beautiful design. Uh, the color schemes just fit so well within the landscape. Um, you can tell we're both art professors because we're talking about those types of details. Um, but we're also really interested in their cultural, maybe even cult status that they have today. And uh, Clint and Chase had told us about how popular they are in parts of Asia and how enthusiasts there will have moss tent campouts uh, and conventions like this gathering in Hong Kong in 2008. We were really interested in the culture surrounding outdoor gear, of course. Um, and so this knowledge has been crucial to our ongoing research for a new project, which we are calling Moss Gathers. Um, so we have received funding from TriStar Arts Current Grant, which is an art grant that's funded by the Andy Warhol Foundation. And we're going to create an outdoor and an indoor installation about moss and the resale culture surrounding these tents. So this is a rendering of our plans uh, for the exterior installation, which is set at the packing plant, um, which is a space that houses several different galleries um, in Nashville, Tennessee. And we're working primarily with one gallery called Coop. And um, in Coop's gallery, we'll have an interior installation as well. And so again, this is a rendering um, uh, where we'll be using found images of moss tents, um, as well as images that we have taken of the tents. And so we're going to be installing these images as lenticulars, like Meredith mentioned um, and showed you in developed developing. Um, and our goal with using the lenticular in this project is to to show how different eras of the tent kind of overlap because Moss had this way of asking folks to send in their own images of the tent in use for their catalogs. Um, and so we're going to be pairing the, some of those types of images, um, images from social media and images from eBay. And so the tent poles that you're seeing on the wall are scaled to the actual tent pole sizes and we'll use the same materials that were used in original production. Um, and the shapes on the wall are a mixture of the pattern shapes for the tent pieces and the way the tents look when you see them actually in real life. So um, we wanted to share a quick uh, prototyping image, since many of you are in the industry, to give you a sense of what it looks like for us in the studio when we're heading into a project um, and how construction happens for us. So while we've been focusing on archival research for this presentation, we also do a ton of materials-based research. Um, and last year we were able, or rather earlier this year, we were able to be visiting artists at REI. And it was really exciting to see that many of the um, strategies that we are using in the studio are similar to that that their product testers and designers are using. 
Um, so for example, in this project, we've learned a lot about the engineering of tent poles, like the math of the uh, curves that are able to be used. Um, and of course, Bill Moss did all of this, um, but we don't have access to all of that research um, for ourselves. And so we're trying to kind of reverse engineer based off of uh, photographs, drawings, et cetera. Um, and so we usually make prototypes out of very basic materials that we have on hand just to be able to see how the project might evolve as quickly as possible. Um, so we're really lucky to have a used gear store nearby my studio. And Meredith and I often pop over there to buy um, tent stakes, to buy poles. Um, we've got a great relationship with them where they oftentimes give us tents that they would otherwise be throwing away which we then use to continue to make our prototypes. And while we were there this past summer to try to find tent poles that we could use to muck up this project, we actually found a moss starlet. Um, so now we can officially call ourselves mossers as well. Um, and we got this tent um, uh, for like $10, which was really amazing. Um, uh, and you can see me here being very excited about this. So we're still in the design phase of this project and we'll be installing it in Nashville in April of next year. And I would just add that Katie is actually underplaying our Moss fandom a little bit because that's actually the second Moss tent that we have purchased. Um, we have another one. I'm I'm based in Florida and we actually have another Moss tent here in Florida as well so that we could both set up our Moss tents and fan out. Uh, in different states. Um, so next, I'm going to talk about another tent project that we're doing, um, which is focusing on the Oval Intention, which is actually a tent that Martin showed during his presentation as well. So while we were doing research at Utah State, uh, we became aware of another cult tent, which is the Oval Intention. And it's, um, it's a very exciting tent and a very interesting tent in the history of tent innovation. So the Oval Intention was the first commercially sold geodesic tome tent, and it was released by the North Face in 1975. Our interest in the Oval Intention brought us back to the Outdoor Recreation Archive as fellows this past summer. We are interested in the ways in which this tent is tied into utopian thought from the 1960s and 70s. The three designers of the Oval Intention, Bruce Hamilton, Mark Erickson, and Bob Gillis, were deeply influenced by Buckminster Fuller and ideas like guaranteed basic income, universal healthcare, and other collectivist initiatives. Utah State has the sketchbooks and legal documents of the designers. And this is actually a, um, a scan of one of uh, Bruce Hamilton's uh, sketchbooks. We planned to recreate the oval intention for an art installation and the notes and drawings from designers Bruce Hamilton and Bob Gillis have been invaluable to us. We also poured over the ephemera the archive has collected, including press clippings, photographs of the designers, and other content related to the history of the North Face. As we often consider the impacts of capitalism on experiences in the outdoors, the corporate history of the company has become an integral part of the project as well. And actually, this is, um, you can see this Polaroid picture is um, the, the North Face created these, uh, these kind of bubble pods for people to wear um, in this foot race uh, in San Francisco. And there's a lot of really 
interesting and funny pictures of North Face employees running like miles uh, in these bubbles. It's pretty cute. Um, so we're still pretty early on in this pic in this project, but we will be making an installation and performance video as super fans of the North Face and the Oval Intention tent. Um, and so we have these outfits that we wear while we're doing our research. We're interested, and this is an image of the tent um, actually at Lesson Volcanic National Park. Um, and we intend on bringing our tent to Lesson uh, to photograph it there because it's one of the sites where the North Face um, actually uh, documented the tent and used it for their catalog. This is an image from a North Face catalog, I think from 1976. We're interested in creating a work that uses prisms to distort imagery and highlight the complexity of the history of this tent and the history of the North Face. And so we shot video using a prism lens filter. Um, and you can see this is a still, this is the way the, um, the prism lens actually breaks down the image into different panels, which sort of replicates the surface of the geodesic dome. And here's another image of us in the archive doing research. Um, and again, this work is really new, uh, but we look forward to being able to share more about it as it progresses. The final project we wanted to talk about is um, called Bad Outdoorsman, and this is an ongoing video and installation work that utilizes archival and other forms of research in slightly different ways. And so this is not a project that the research at um, Utah State University was specifically integral to, but it shows how we have been able to utilize other archives as well and how much our process has been influenced by the time that we've spent at Utah State. So um, we were invited um, actually a year ago today to be artists in residence at the Crisp Eller Art Museum in St. Augustine, Florida. And while we were there, we spent time in the archives of local historical societies um, and did research on the history of conservationists, environmentalists, and famous outdoorsmen who traveled to that area of North Florida in the 18th and 19th century. So reading about how John Audubon and William Bartram and John Muir struggled to survive and thrive uh, in the wilderness reminded us of other portrayals of masculine bushcraft failure that we had been watching on TV. Um, so uh, as we said earlier, we're really inspired by different types of cultural texts. So uh, from outdoor literature to actually seeing the products, um, but we're also really interested in bad reality TV as a, a representation of the outdoors. So during the last year, I got really excited about the History Channel television show Alone. I don't know if any of you have watched it, um, but I think the History Channel is kind of nuts. And um, they're, it's really interesting to see how absurd their idea of history is. They've got lots of shows that are about the outdoors. Um, but when I watched one episode of Alone, I called Meredith and said, I think there's really something here that we should be focusing on. So if you haven't seen the show, it features contestants surviving in the wilderness entirely on their own without a camera crew. 
Um, every episode opens with a quote from a philosopher, an explorer, or a writer. And John Muir has provided the most quotes um, overall. So we used the episodes where he is quoted as starting points for this new work. The contestants on the show are self-described wilderness experts. Um, they only get to bring 10 items out there. So they're they are actually like relying on gear a little bit. Um, but really many of them have no business being in the outdoors by themselves. So some people never find any food. Other people leave when they realize that bears also live in the woods um, and several have lost their flint and need to go home. We love the show because it illustrates how wilderness survival is tied up in ego, a pattern that we saw reflected in our research into John Muir, Audubon and William Bartram. So we took screenshots like this um, and had them printed on a polysilk material. And then we laser cut leaves out of the fabric um, and we hand sewed them onto a camo sweatsuit to make our own ghillie suits. And if you're not familiar with the ghillie suit, um, they're a kind of three dimensional camouflage um, that features leaves, twigs, yarn and so on. Um, we took those suits out into sites um, rich with cultural and social importance. Um, and so we traveled to lots of different so-called public lands for this project, like this state forest, Matanzas, which is now used both for plantation pine harvesting. And here you see the pines that are cut in really straight lines, um, but it also has a campground. Um, uh, and here we are at the second site where William Bartram visited in the 18th century. Um, Bartram is well known for his illustrations in flora and fauna um, and influenced a lot of other um, uh, environmentalists, but we were fascinated with how poorly he fared in the outdoors in Florida. So he nearly died when he was trying to run a plantation um, and he refused to eat some of the uh, food that he had hunted with his father. Um, he ended up having to return home to live with his parents in Philadelphia. So this is a still from a video where I discussed my my own survival instincts and skills. Um, and the videos we're shooting will recreate many of the tropes that the video contestants make in their own um, uh, application uh, audition tapes. Uh, we are planning on uh, creating our own uh, absurdist audition tape, which we will submit. Personally, I hope that we get cast, um, but I know that Meredith has some apprehensions um, and would probably like pretend to twist her ankle the minute that we got on the show. Um, so uh, I wanted to, while um, talking, just show you a little bit of this video installation. Um, and so this project will culminate in an installation and a multi-channel uh, video with exhibitions uh, planned for the Crisp Ellard Art Museum in St. Augustine, Florida, and the University of uh, Wyoming Museum of Art, as well as um, Vinegar Projects, which is in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, so we hope you'll follow along with the project and uh, root for us getting cast on the show. Um, uh, but, you know, time will tell about that. Um, 
and then we really wanted to say again, thank you so much for inviting us to speak about our work and how archives, both of gear um, and history, have influenced our work. It's really just such an honor, like Meredith said, to be invited into spaces of industry, especially as artists. Um, and so um, in this image, we were at REI's um, archives, and we would really welcome the opportunity to get to know more about the industry through collaborating with any folks who are here at the summit. So please feel free to follow us on Instagram and reach out to us via email. And we'd be happy to answer any questions that anybody has. Perfect. We have time probably for one um, before our next presentation. So if anyone has a question, feel free to jump in and share that in the chat. Go ahead and stop the share. And if not, I, I always have questions. So <laughs> I'm, I am curious, uh, do you have interest in other objects? A lot of your work centers around tents and now you're doing the ghillie suit. Like, are there other products that are interesting to you both? Yeah, I think yeah. we have, we've worked with um, a cooler before. We have a, we have a cooler piece. Um, and I think we talked about sleeping bags. Um, and we do, we definitely, yeah, are, are hoping to branch out a little bit. There's something about the tent that has been really, uh, just very interesting to us as a sculptural object and as a kind of interactive object. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we would, we definitely have plans to, to do some other stuff. Yeah, I think we have been talking about doing a project um, about uh, boots and thinking about um, uh, um, the idea of like um, uh, the busting the crust and trying to play around with some sort of mock advertising campaigns around boots and socks, et cetera. Um, but there is something like Meredith said about the tent, both within a gallery setting, it, it becomes such an amazing sculptural object because of the size. Um, but it's also something that almost everyone has an experience with a tent. Um, like Martin was saying, there's just like a lot of um, excitement around uh, putting up a tent, but something else that is exciting to us is when we bring our work out into um, so-called public lands. Like for instance, we took one of our tents to Arches National Parks to photograph it. And people just start conversations with us when they see the tents, because they're obviously mimicking something that um, folks have experiences with, but they're just uh, different enough that it really opens up a conversation, which we're, we're excited about. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.